This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Today's episode is for anybody who has ever felt anxiety or stress or overwhelm or excessive worry, who has wondered whether or not taking an anti-anxiety medication or an SSRI might be an effective step in supporting your health and wellness. And we're going to be diving into a number of questions that you specifically asked over on our Instagram feed at Raw Beauty Talks. So I was blown away by how many questions there were on this topic, which just made me that much more excited to really dive into this. As somebody who takes an SSRI, I have my own personal story that I'll share with you today about deciding to go on it and how long I've taken it, whether or not I'm planning on staying on it. And I've also invited a very special guest, Dr. Michelle Campbellis, to join us. I always feel that it's really important when we're talking about things like this to have science-backed, research-based information shared by a professional who's educated in this area. So Michelle will be joining us to talk a little bit more about how SSRIs work, some of the side effects, what it looks like to wean off of them and additional ways that you can support yourself if you are feeling anxiety. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a few questions to help you understand whether or not you might actually be experiencing anxiety. Some people feel like they're worrying a lot or are experiencing physical sensations, but they don't know whether or not that would be classified as anxiety. These questions that I'm asking you, it's not a diagnosis by any means, and I would always highly recommend going and speaking with a doctor. If you feel like anything's wrong, reaching out for help is the strongest, most important thing that you can do. So just answer these questions to yourself and notice what's coming up for you. So first of all, do you often feel nervous, anxious, or on edge? Do you find it hard to control your worrying? Do you have trouble relaxing, sitting still, or giving yourself time to rest? Do you feel easily annoyed or irritated? Do you have scary physical sensations like rapid heartbeat, dizziness, nausea, or feel like you might pass out sometimes? Do you often worry something bad might happen? Do you struggle to feel at ease in social situations, questioning how you might be perceived or whether or not you said the right thing? Do you have limiting beliefs about yourself that feel like they spiral out of control? Do you find it hard to get a good sleep sometimes? Maybe you lie awake ruminating or you just can't seem to get to sleep. Are you struggling to find enjoyment in the things that you used to? 
If you answered yes to any of these statements, you may be experiencing anxiety. You may not have anxiety. I mean, we all go through moments in time where some of these things pop up, even, you know, maybe around your menstrual cycle or a time in your life, like when you were going to school and there were exams. So this isn't by any means a diagnosis, but it might just help you to understand if you are a little bit more on the anxious side of the spectrum. If you are answering yes to a lot of those things, I want you to know that you're not broken. You're not destined to feel like this forever. Anxiety is really normal these days, but it's also highly treatable. And so we're going to talk about one of the methods or tools that you can use to support anxiety, along with a number of more holistic approaches that you can take as well. To start off with, let's talk a little bit about my experience with SSRIs. And I have recorded many episodes at this point on anxiety and shared my experience with anxiety. So I won't get too deep into that in this episode, but I will link to those down below so that you have further resources there. I have taken an SSRI at two different times in my life. I probably could have used something of the sorts back in high school. If you've been listening along for a while now, you know that I struggled with an eating disorder in high school. And the more that I understand my own brain chemistry and my own body, the more I can see that my eating disorder really was a coping mechanism for the anxiety that I was feeling. And what we know now, nearly 20 years later, is that eating disorders are commonly linked to those who have an anxiety disorder, and they are a coping mechanism for the anxiety that is felt within the body, which makes complete sense to me now. At the time, I was never diagnosed with anxiety. That wasn't even a word, actually, that was being used, whereas now I feel like we all know it and everyone identifies with it in one way or another. So I did not take an SSRI at that time when I had my eating disorder. I went into an inpatient treatment program. The first time I went on an SSRI was actually when Scott, who's now my husband, as you know, and I broke up for a bit. We took a three or four month break in our relationship. And even though I was the one to call the time out, I was devastated And I kind of fell into this funk of anxiety. I lost my appetite. I was struggling to sleep. I was just noticing that I wasn't doing my best. I wasn't functioning my best. And my mom had a conversation with me and just sort of brought up that in our family, there's a history of anxiety and depression and that genetically I might be more predispositioned to have a bit of a chemical imbalance and that there was, you know, nothing wrong with taking something if I needed that extra little bit of support so that I could show up to live life. So at the time I decided to take it, Scott and I ended up getting back together months later, you know, I was feeling pretty good and I slowly weaned off of the medication over the course of about six months, I would say carried on with my low level of anxiety that I've sort of always had. The thing with my anxiety and how it shows up is that in a lot of ways, it allows me to be kind of high functioning because I struggle to like sit down and watch a TV show or to really 
truly relax. I mean, I'm getting so much better now that I'm consistent with a meditation practice and just that I understand what's going on. I'm so much more mindful of giving myself that downtime. But at the time, I mean, it was kind of a low level of anxiety that presented itself in a lot of productiveness and getting stuff done. You know, nothing really showed up until after having my daughter. So I had, I have two kids and I have James, a little bit of anxiety after James. And then after Brooklyn, I noticed that it was definitely more intense. And I ended up with what was diagnosed as postpartum anxiety And that hit about eight months after she was born. That time, the anxiety was like a whole nother level of severe. I had what were labeled as intrusive thoughts. So these were thoughts that were so scary to me that they were causing panic attacks every single day. And for anybody who's had a panic attack, you know that you feel so depleted after and so exhausted. So to be having them back to back with two young kids and, you know, I was still really committed to doing my work. It completely floored me. And I was, you know, in a space where I was in fetal position in bed, I would have to listen to relaxing, like water music and nature sounds (laughs) or, light, funny audio tapes to try and distract myself from these thoughts that I was having. Luckily, I was able to get into therapy and the conversation came up again about going on an SSRI. This time I was pretty resistant to going back on. I think I was very aware of the stigma attached to it and stubborn. My ego was telling me, you have so many tools. You know how to meditate. You do exercise. You could just eat better and think positively. You're a health coach. This is what you support other people in doing. I felt like it was a weakness to have to take the medication. And I really wanted to try and get out of this hole that I was in as quote unquote naturally as possible. So for another three weeks, I avoided taking the medication and like was fighting with this nervous system that was at a whole nother level of anxiety. I mean, I could barely eat. I was hardly sleeping. I was having all of these thoughts that were causing and driving more panic attacks. It was a scary time for me and for Scott and the kids were so young, but I was very aware that, you know, they're little and they're picking up on this type of drama in their own way. So I mean, eventually I got to the point, I remember driving over to my parents' house and being like, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I'll take the medication. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, 
country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code rawbeautytalks at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code rawbeautytalks. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. With most SSRIs, it takes in between four to six weeks for them to really reach a clinical or effective impact on you. So it's a bit of a waiting game. And it was, I mean, we saw a whole summer go by with me struggling away and really, you know, working to rebalance my system. It wasn't just the whole summer. I mean, it took me probably two years to recover from that space. And to be honest, I'm still, we're still working with my nervous system and anxiety. At this point, we understand though, that I most likely have more of a generalized anxiety disorder and it's shows up in, in certain periods of my life, you know, in high school, under the guise of an eating disorder in postpartum when already our hormones are adjusting rapidly, but it's this huge transitionary stage of life. And then I've had two more episodes since then. And those have happened since being on an SSRI already. So I have never since going on them with Brooklyn at about eight months. She was eight months old. She's four now. I have never gone off of the SSRI. And the two other episodes of panic that I've had have both occurred sort of in the last six months. So at this point, I'm actually in the process of increasing my dosage of the SSRI that I'm on, which again, felt like a hard decision because for the last two years, I've been saying that I'm going to wean off. But in this game of mental health and wellness, we got to check our ego. We got to let go of labels of stigma. And it's all about doing what is most supportive for our body. So my whole approach with all of this is just looking at my medication as one of the many tools that I use to support my body and anxiety. 
I meditate, you know, I move my body, I eat well, I don't drink alcohol anymore, I primarily drink decaf, and I do so many other things, you know, gratitudes and getting enough sleep. I'm doing all the things and using all the tools, but the medication's really what creates a foundation that allows me to show up to do those things because when my anxiety is really elevated. I can't do any of those things. I'm sitting in meditation and my mind is spiraling out of control or I can't even get myself to sit down to do it. I'm not sleeping as well. I'm not eating as well. And so it gives me that boost that allows me to show up to do all of these other practices that are supporting my nervous system health, my mental health, and my physical well-being as well. So whether or not I am going to wean off, oh, I mean, if I'm being honest, eventually I would love to. The most important thing to me right now is to be healthy. And yes, my preference would be to not be on medication and it would be nice to get there someday, but I'm almost not even allowing myself to think about that in this moment, because in this moment, what I actually need is to be increasing my dose and finding something that is going to help my body stay balanced so that I can show up as a mom and to do this work that is so important to me and as a wife and a friend and, you know, all these other important aspects of life show up for myself too. Right? So to be determined in regards to weaning off. It's absolutely something that I've thought about a lot, that I think about, that I've set goals and intentions around, but that what I keep coming back to is that I'm going to know when it's time. And I've definitely got in my mind that I would like to have at least six months of feeling really stable, no panic attacks, no crazy debilitating anxiety before I even consider starting that process. So that is why I started on an SSRI, what I've learned in regards to my anxiety and how it shows up, and a little bit about my plans to wean off. I want you to know if you're listening to this right now and you're on an anti-anxiety medication or an antidepressant or an SSRI that you're not alone in that. A lot of people, I think it's one in 10 Americans are now taking some sort of medication and that it's okay. It doesn't make you any less than of a person. When somebody breaks their arm, we don't look at their cast and think, wow, they really should have tried harder to just heal that arm on their own. There's something in regards to mental health where we have this idea that people can just think themselves out of it or that they can just do certain actions, try this or try that, and that they'll be able to get themselves out of it. Well, I'm here to tell you, I have tried all of those things. I have a lot of privilege and I've, I have access to, you know, all the things that you could possibly do to support your mental health. And just sometimes it's not enough and that's okay. This isn't your full story. It is one small piece of your story. And in many cases, it's going to allow you to write a story that feels so much more authentic to you because it puts your mental health situation that's going on in this moment in the background so that you can focus on all the other things in your life. We know that when people are struggling with their mental health, it really puts a cloud over the way they're able to show up in every area of their life. So 
if you're somebody who's listening to this and you're not on an SSRI or an anti-anxiety medication or an antidepressant and you're not ready to go there, then that's totally fine too. I mean, I spent years not being on one and I think we have to be really thoughtful about whether or not we use that approach. And there's lots of things to try before going that route. This isn't a band-aid solution. And if you're experiencing a lot of anxiety, there are many lifestyle changes that ideally you would want to be trying first and or in addition to it. But that being said, I also want to preface that it's a privilege to be able to do all of those things as well, right? To be able to take time to meditate or go to yoga or get out for a walk, to be able to eat healthy. These are things that not everybody has access to. And so we have to remember as well that if you're just needing that support to be able to get through the day-to-day of life, then by all means, that's what these things and modern medicine are there for. I'm super strange whenever I'm struggling with something. I always Google famous people who have struggled with postpartum, famous people who don't drink alcohol, famous people who have anxiety. And for whatever reason, seeing people who are successful in their own lane, but who also have struggles. I don't know. It makes me feel less alone and more hopeful. So I'm bringing to you a list of a few people who have talked openly about taking an anti-anxiety medication or an SSRI, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Chrissy Teigen, who talked a lot about postpartum depression and anxiety, Kristen Bell, who's spoken openly about taking an SSRI and her experience with anxiety that is also similar to me, genetically predispositioned within her family, and Selena Gomez as well. Okay, so before Michelle Campbellis joins us to answer some of your burning questions about SSRIs, including will it take away my sex drive or I have a very low libido when I'm on SSRIs, is this normal? She's going to talk to us about weaning off of medication along with a number of other things. I want to share sort of three key missteps that people can take when addressing anxiety. So the first thing is waiting too long to get help. Anxiety is very treatable, but most people don't seek help for years and years. I think that the average amount of time is something like 10 years. It is so normal in our world today to be really busy and to feel stressed or overwhelmed. I mean, we'll ask people, how are you doing? And they're like, exhausted, I'm I'm tired, I'm pretty stressed. And that's just the norm. It's not a red flag. It's something that we sometimes, to be honest with, celebrate. Our bodies are really only designed to cope with short bursts of stress versus these extended periods of stress. And when we experience that extended period of stress, our nervous system becomes really deregulated. And so anxiety can become this beautiful message or calling from our body that it needs more attention and care or that the way that we're operating isn't actually working for us. So the first thing that I want you to note here is that if you're starting to notice anxiety, asking for help from a doctor or a therapist or a friend or family member is a really key step. And the earlier that you treat anxiety, the easier it is to really create lasting change. So 
Don't wait. The second misstep that people make is to try to think their way out of anxiety. I don't know if you've ever thought like, if I could just think more positively or be more grateful, really get consistent with my gratitude practice, that this would go away. These are wonderful practices to work on and I would highly recommend them. But when you have anxiety, you've really got to start the healing process by supporting the physical body first, supporting that nervous system. When your nervous system is operating in fight or flight, your cognitive ability to navigate thoughts is going to be impaired. Your thinking won't be rational and we aren't able to think our way out of it. It'll be really hard to get to that place where we're thinking rationally while our nervous system is fully on. So this is, I think, one of the things that I struggled with the most and that I still struggle with when I've got a lot of anxiety is that I want to try to solve the problem in my mind. And so what I've really had to learn to do is to separate from those thoughts and label them as anxious thinking or just label it as thought and to come back to the practices that support me in regulating my nervous system physically. And Michelle and I will talk a lot about what those practices look like. I've also done a whole podcast episode on this as well. As the anxiety and and nervous system start to regulate, you'll find that your thoughts clear and that your thoughts are more rational. And then you're really able to do any work that you have on navigating things in your life or, or patterns that you're in that perhaps need to change. So we can't think our way out of anxiety. The third piece is numbing with shopping, alcohol, social media. I mean, the list goes on and on of things that we can numb with, but these are really just quick fix solutions and they don't address the underlying issue that is causing the anxiety. So usually in the long term, they really exacerbate the discomfort. So this is the main reason that I don't drink alcohol right now at this moment in my life. It's not because I, you know, was out of control with alcohol or couldn't stop thinking about it, but it was for sure something that made me feel more relaxed in the short term. And then way more anxious afterwards. And I am really focused on supporting my body right now. There just isn't a lot of space for alcohol. There is also not always space for caffeine. There's a lot of things that I've decided not to use as a coping mechanism to the anxiety to support me in learning how to support it at a deeper level. So healing anxiety really requires us to swap out maladaptive solutions that just hit the surface for more potent practices that are going to change our biochemistry at a foundational level. So just noticing without judgment If you have, you know, ever taken any of these approaches, trying to think your way out of anxiety, avoiding getting help or numbing, numbing, numbing. (laughs) 
Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Michelle Cambolis onto the podcast today. She is an author, a therapist, the founder of Harborside Family Center for Therapy and Counseling, a meditation teacher, a mother. I mean, this is a woman who has worn many hats. She has also had her own struggle with anxiety in her life and her own story with SSRIs and anti-anxiety medication. So she understands what so many of us have gone through. I mean, she's also worked with hundreds, if not thousands of women over the course of her 20 year career. So she is bringing a strong, strong base of both practical knowledge and also experience, experience, experience. So Michelle, thank you so much for joining us again today. I'm really excited to have somebody who's an expert in this area and who has the the background and the education to support what is a very nuanced conversation and where there's a lot of information that can feel very conflicted about, confused about, and can have a lot of questions about. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a hot topic because there's still so much that we don't understand about the impact of these medications that we are using in order to treat and address mental health struggles. And so I'm happy to have this conversation and share what I know to try and unpack some of the myths and also make sure that we're all informed. Let's start off with the most simple, but perhaps complicated of the questions. How do SSRIs or antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, however you want to label them, how do they work? It's pretty layered. So let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. And I'll start by talking about SSRIs in particular, which are really widely used to treat anxiety and depression. And in a nutshell, they increase the levels of serotonin in the brain. And serotonin is one of the chemical messengers that carry signals between the brain nerve cells. So pretty important role. And SSRIs block the reabsorption of serotonin into the neurons. So this helps to ensure that more serotonin is available to improve the communication between the neurons. So it helps the brain system to work more effectively. And we know that SSRIs are the most commonly prescribed for managing anxiety, they're evidence-based, they're very well-researched, they can ease symptoms of anxiety and depression and are relatively safe. I mean, we'll talk about those circumstances where they're, they're less so, and they typically cause fewer side effects than other types of, of antidepressants. And there are other classifications of, of antidepressants We're talking about the SSRIs today, but there are also SNRIs, which are serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and then also the tricyclic and tetracyclic antidepressants. But we're going to focus on SSRIs today. So for somebody like me who has in my family a lot of anxiety, and we can imagine then that genetically I'm predispositioned to have, would it be less serotonin in my brain or the absorption of serotonin is happening really quickly so it's not as readily available? Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, if you're in a situation where you've tried a variety of other ways to address anxiety. So we're talking about kind of the low hanging fruit here, like 
changing diet, increasing exercise, keeping an eye on sleep and making sure that you're getting enough of and the right kinds of sleep and titrating off of stimulants. So there's all kinds of things that we do first before and therapy, of course, but when you've tried all of those things and you're still struggling and your symptoms are debilitating, it's so important that we have conversations with our doctor to see whether or not, you know, we're a candidate for an, an SSRI. And in which case, when you're choosing one, it's good to go with one that's been effective for another family member because we have similar biochemistries. Earlier in this episode, I talked about how much I struggled with deciding to go on to an SSRI. And I wanted to be able to exercise and meditate and just eat well and, you know, do all of those low hanging fruit, as you called them, rather than having to take this medication. And so much of that is because there is this stigma around mental health and around anti-anxiety medication. And I find that there can be this feeling of either or, like you either take the medication and you kind of are taking the easy route and you're just, you know, numbing everything out and covering it up, or you can dive into all of these other things. And what was so important for me, as you know, was really coming to this space where it didn't need to be either or for me and my body. It really is a matter of and. I take my SSRI and I do all of these other things as well that are very supportive to my body and nervous system. And, and that is the best solution for me. Do you find that other patients of yours struggle deciding to go on to medication? Like, I know this is a bit of a thing, the stigma around it. Oh, yeah. Stigma. There's so much judgment around medications in order to support our mental health. And a lot of people resist trying an SSRI or another psychotropic medication because they're so determined that they want to heal themselves naturally. And I understand that. Absolutely. We have a great desire to be able to do whatever we can and be in full agency and make these changes independent of medication. There are times when the body absolutely requires it. There's a deficit in terms of the balance of neurotransmitters, just like you would require insulin for diabetes. There are times when we require the supportive medication in order to address these imbalances within the mind-body system. And so we've got a long way to go in terms of addressing the shame, the stigma, the secrecy around taking medications. And it's not an either or. This is very layered. And oftentimes by taking an SSRI, if it's an appropriate for you, then decreases the symptoms enough that you can actually gain from the benefits of all of the other modalities that you're trying, like targeted psychotherapies, CBT gives you the added motivation to be able to get out and exercise, to make the changes on a day-to-day -day level in order to be able to address anxiety in every way, shape, and form.
I'm so glad that you mentioned that because when my anxiety is really high, I'm not able to sit and meditate. My mind and my thoughts are in such a scattered space, non-logical, nonsensical. And so for me, the medication is the first step in just providing a steady foundation for me to do the rest of the work. A lot of people asked the same question. Does an SSRI just mask or numb an underlying concern or an issue or a trauma that needs to be addressed? And, you know, in taking it, are we then hooked on it for life? And if we're not taking it, all of a sudden, this issue is going to present itself again. Yeah, it's such a great question. So there is something called emotional blunting that that's quite common when you're taking SSRIs and that's where you just feel kind of blah. So you're not too down, you're not too anxious, but you're also not too happy either. And it can make it more difficult to access some of the like emotional textures. So it is certainly something that people can and experience. In, in fact, to the tune of about 45 to 70% of people who are on antidepressants. So it's quite common. It varies depending on the anti-anxiety medication that you happen to be on. And SSRIs in particular seem to be associated with this emotional blunting. So we're constantly balancing out the pros and cons. If that is something that you're noticing, will it ever change with time? Or is it a sign that you should try another medication? Or is it just like we're deciding whether you're having raging anxiety or depression versus feeling a little bit more emotionally blunted? People are willing to to accept that side effect in order to get some relief from the anxiety and, and or depression. And at other times, it will go away within two to three weeks of starting medication. So most nuisance side effects go away within the first few weeks. At other times, it means going back to your doctor to say, I don't like this feeling. I'm wondering if it's time to try something else. And it's not uncommon to have to try two or three different types of of medication before you hit on the right one. I think that one of the things that I've learned in this process is that nothing happens overnight. There is no light switch that you are flicking on where you're going to have immediate relief and an immediate answer. And I'm not somebody who's particularly patient. And when you're feeling shitty, you want a quick fix. We all do. But in working with my anxiety now over the course of years, I'm understanding more and more that we just are required to really ride the waves of this process. And there are going to be times when it feels like smooth sailing and when you're like, I've got this and you're probably going to consider going off of the medication. And then there's going to be times when your anxiety is triggered again and we need to relook at the medication and we got to go back to therapy. It's a life process and that can cause a lot of I don't want this. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be on this journey. But in working with Michelle and in all of our conversations, the thing that keeps coming back is this idea of 
there's only more suffering when we really push away our reality, when we really try to escape the moment that we're in or the process that we're in, and when we try to just rapidly brush through it. There's this quote, Sa Dismone, I think we, is how you say his name. I'm going to link to him down below. He's fabulous. He says, you know, when you're in a dark room, it becomes easy to flail about in a panic, trying to find a light switch and to turn that light on as fast as you can. But if you wait patiently, your eyes will slowly adjust and eventually you'll be able to see exactly where the light switch is and you can walk calmly over to it and switch it on. And I like the idea of it not being a light switch, but perhaps a dimmer switch. So we slowly just brighten the room ever so, so much, and then slowly brighten it a little bit more. I've really been leaning into that, you know, over the last few months as anxieties ebbed and flowed. And this idea that perhaps in not rushing this process, I can learn so much about myself and my past and my triggers and areas where there's still space to heal. And so I just want to remind you that in experiencing those lows, you also have the capacity to feel really big highs. And uh, so hang in there and keep going. Okay. That was a bit of a tangent. Michelle, back to you, the star of the show. A very wise tangent. And when you're in pain and you're struggling, it's very hard to trust. And that's the word that just keeps coming forward for me over and over and over again. Can you trust as you're going through this process and this path that answers will come and it may not be immediate. The difficult thing is by the time we start looking to something like an antidepressant, um, most people have struggled for a very, very long time. So it's natural to want those that immediate relief. And while there is a delay and sometimes there are adjustments that need to be made. I just encourage you all to trust that answers are there. That trust piece, when I'm really in it, is so hard. What I've leaned on and relied on and have been so blessed to have is family and friends and an incredible therapist who is able to help me find that trust when I can't find it myself. I also wrote myself a letter when I was in a space where I was feeling strong, which is most of the time for me, to remind myself those moments when the anxiety is so bad and I'm on the edge of panic and my mind is just like filled with these thoughts of not enough and fear and uh, all of that stuff that, that that's not who I am. That's not reality. And I can go back to that letter and find some peace or hope just even from myself. So that's something, you know, if you don't have that support network or you, you haven't been able to open up and talk about what you're experiencing yet on one of your strong days, write that letter to yourself. Can we talk about some of the side effects of these? The biggest side effect that people wanted to talk about was the sex drive. And then weight gain was close behind are these things that everyone experiences and any suggestions on how to navigate them? Mm -hmm. Another great question. So not everyone experiences side effects, but 
but SSRIs can indeed have side effects. As I said before, many side effects go away within the first few weeks. So if you can kind of bear with it just to kind of see whether or not they dissipate, that's the best course of action. At other times, the side effects are so uncomfortable that again, you may need a different medication and SSRIs differ in their potencies at blocking serotonin and how quickly the body metabolizes the medication. So if you can't tolerate one, you might be able to tolerate another. And so some of the side effects you might experience are just feeling nauseous, kind of flu-like symptoms, maybe diarrhea, headaches are more common, can cause drowsiness. So that can be quite frustrating for people feeling more sleepy. Others are dry mouth. On the opposite extreme, you can also get insomnia. Paradoxically, the medications can cause an increase in nervousness and agitation. And then of course, we mentioned the low libido and it can impact your appetite. So leading to weight loss or weight gain. Uh, these are the things that freak us out about taking medications, right? But we have to remember with any medication that we've taken, there's a host of side effects. And I'm by in no means trying to promote or push anyone in going on to SSRIs. I just want to look at it through a lens of breaking the stigma, remembering that there's lots of people who rely on medications over the course of their life where there isn't this type of stigma around it, and an understanding of what these even are, what is involved, what could happen so that if you do try it, you're not like, oh my gosh, am I the only one who's experiencing this? In regards to the libido piece, I personally find my libido is lowest and my sex drive is lowest when I'm super anxious. I don't think I've experienced a lot of depression, but I can only imagine like you're not ready to get it on when you're feeling like you can barely get out of bed or take a shower. So I first want to point that out, check in with yourself, like how are you feeling now about all of that? My libido, I don't know. I think because I've struggled with anxiety, it's not like super high, but I think my husband's super hot and I want that connection. And I know that that's really important to him. And so it is about prioritizing it and making space for it. And, you know, once we end up heading in that direction, I never regret it. So all of this is nuanced and it's all complicated. We also have to remember we're coming out of two years of COVID. So like if your libido's low, my guess is there are a lot of factors that could be involved. When we're stressed, we're not in a space where we're wanting to procreate. And we have to look at all of these pieces of our mental health. And there's usually a lot of things that are involved. That's where a therapist can be really supportive and kind of talking through and looking at all these different areas of our life and all of the different things that we're, I don't want to say up against, but getting to experience. I think that's where communication comes in and is so important, really letting your partner know what's going on, reassuring them that it, you know, it's not about if this is in fact true, your feelings of attraction and the quality of connection in your relationship, but that, you know, this is a biochemical struggle that you're having a mental health struggle that you're having, and it's impacting you in a variety of different ways. And sex drive just happens to be one of them. And the other thing to keep in mind is if you're with a partner for any length of time, libido is going to change. I mean, I'm coming up against 54 and have had very long-term partners. And this is something that shifts and changes over time. 
based on a really wide variety of different factors. So setting this expectation that we're going to have a high sex drive all the time is just really unrealistic. We're going to have a whole podcast episode on this, okay? Because this also really needs to be discussed that it's okay if you're not having sex five days a week in every space of your home all of the time. I want to chat about weaning off of medication and how you know when it's time to wean off. Is it possible to wean off? And are there any long-term side effects to these medications? So it's generally time to wean off when you are symptom-free for about six to nine months. If you've had three or more reoccurrences of severe anxiety or depression, the recommendation is two years. In those cases, you stay on the SSRI a little bit longer. And is there a suggested amount of time to remain on it? Yeah. So when you're symptom-free, if you stay on it about six to nine months, that's sort of the general recommendation. So give yourself some time on it here's what ends up happening. You go on the medication. No one wants to be on the medication. As soon as you're feeling better, you want to quickly go off. So you haven't really given your brain system a chance to totally readjust and benefit fully from the SSRI. And then when people go off of the SSRI too early, then it increases the chances that they might need to go back on there's an element of neuroplasticity involved. And so there are very real molecular changes happening in the brain and researchers are working really hard to better understand what those are. So SSRIs then really are kind of reshaping the neural patterning and brain chemistry in ways that are supportive Also in providing that foundation where you are able to start getting out for walks, practicing meditation, showing up for therapy, doing breath work, all of that is also repatterning and reprogramming the nervous system and your physiology so that when you wean off, if that is a decision that you decide to make, then your system's stronger. It's more adaptable and, and able to sort of navigate the world that we're living in. I mean, ultimately, we want to be doing all of those things and mitigating the impact of our culture of stress and anxiety and taking radical shifts in our life so that we're reclaiming and cultivating an ecosystem that's more supportive. You and I have done some work together in order to support people in that process, which we'll talk about in one moment. We're really excited to share this with you. But before we go in there, I want to just talk about some of the common missteps that you see in your practice Missteps or things that you would, you know, you wish people knew in regards to addressing anxiety, things that people are commonly doing that aren't actually supportive of healing. Yeah. Well, the most common misstep that I see is stopping medication on your own. So when people do that, it can be really problematic and cause a lot of setbacks. And so it's really important that when you do decide to go off of an SSRI, that you're doing that with the support of your, of your doctor. It's important to titrate off very, very slowly. Um, these are dramatic shifts that are happening in our brain system. So that's the first piece. 
The other thing that I see at times are like clients relying solely on the medication to address the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Healing is so much more layered and complex than that. And, you know, I get it. It's really hard to stay motivated and do all the things that are going to help. But it's really important that at the same time, we're looking at these other fundamental changes that are really going to keep us well long-term. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Okay, so we've talked a lot about SSRIs, the option of SSRIs. And one of the things that we keep coming back to is that before jumping into that whole conversation, or in addition to taking an SSRI, there are a number of different things that we can be doing to support our nervous system and our mental health that will really just bolster our entire system and and allow us to cope with busy, stress-filled, high-pressure lives that we have. So Michelle and I have spent, I mean, it's been almost a year creating this, looking at different evidence-based approaches to supporting anxiety. And we both felt called to create this anxiety toolkit because in our respective work that we were doing, we noticed that there were so many people struggling with anxiety at this time. And so we got to work and we created a little toolkit for you with all of the practices. I believe there's 21 tools and practices in this offering that have supported each of us as individuals, but more importantly, hundreds of clients collectively. So Michelle, do you want to share a little bit about the practices that we've popped into this toolkit? I do. And I'm excited to do so. These are practices that were really curated. When you have anxiety, you want answers quickly. And so we've chosen the approaches that are shown scientifically to be highly effective. And we also wanted to choose methods that are easy to implement in your life. Erin, you've used them with your clients for many years And I've been now counseling people for over 25 years, and we really just drew on the methods that are going to be most supportive to you now. And so that ranges from breath work to meditation, to making changes in diet and nutrition, to shifting mindset, to focusing on your sleep life and reclaiming that. The list is 21 items long and then also some bonuses. I mean, we want anybody out there who is struggling with physical, emotional, mental symptoms of anxiety to feel supported and empowered to be able to open this toolkit and to choose whatever feels most supportive for you in any given moment. It is an online program. You can access it through an app on your phone. Some of the exercises take 10 seconds. There's some breathwork exercises in there to help you move from, you know, a place of panic or just even if you're not highly, highly anxious to just move you from that place of fight or flight into a more restful, rational space (laughs) to exist from. I think we could all use a little bit more of that. It is self-led. So once you purchase the program, you can dive on into it. And so you get the whole set of tools 
and you can use them as it feels best for you. And then also Michelle and I are always available for support on the other side via email or on our social accounts as well. So that is now available. You can click the link in our bio. We've also got an anxiety quiz down below if you're wondering if you actually have anxiety or if some of the symptoms you're experiencing are normal. Take that quiz. Michelle, any last thoughts? Oh, you know, I just absolutely excited and thrilled to offer the anxiety toolkit, the recordings and the videos, I think will be so supportive to everyone. And I imagine it like you coming into the room with us, Aaron and I have both struggled with anxiety on and off throughout our own lives and have learned so much personally and have a vested interest in supporting others towards their highest well-being. We've got your back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michelle. It's always so wonderful to have you on here. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.